All right, well, welcome to those who have just tuned in. Thank you for joining us here at Mount Airy Baptist Church as we uh, have another study. Uh, tonight's study is we look at the book of Malachi. So if you're online, find your Bible, open it up, or here in the sanctuary. Malachi, of course, is one of the easier Old Testament books to find. You just basically go to Matthew and turn left, and you'll come to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And tonight, we're going to be talking about facing our complacency. Actually, every night as we're going through the book of Malachi, that's really the theme of the book. And we talked about this last week as we introduced the book to you, that when you're complacent, the idea of complacency is that you don't see the dangers ahead. You don't see the problems. You don't see perhaps what others see. You are content with the way things are. But what I asked you last week is this. What if God's not content? What if God's not content? With the way things are. That's the situation in the book of Malachi. God sent a messenger to warn his people about the danger of spiritual apathy. So if you have the book open now, chapter 1, verse 1, let's read it again. We read it last week, but let's read it again. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I told you last week that his name, Malachi, actually in the Hebrew means my messenger. And so we could read verse 1 this way, an oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through my messenger, through Malachi. And I told you last week that the word oracle really has the idea of a prophetic rebuke. That an oracle, the word oracle, is only used three times in the Old Testament. And those three times, this prophetic rebuke, it's always something stern. It's always for your benefit, but it is a rebuke. And in fact, in some of your translations, that word oracle is translated burden. The idea behind this book of Malachi is that God is burdened for his people. God has a burden for what they are experiencing. He was burdened specifically by the complacency that he saw in his people. He was displeased and so he used his messenger. He used Malachi as his prophet to warn the people about the danger of spiritual apathy. Now, let me pause for a moment before we get too far into this. Can I just say to you that as a pastor and as a teacher, there are certain passages of the Bible that are more challenging to teach than others. Uh, if you're a BSF teacher, you, you already know that. There, there are certain passages you probably like to teach. You enjoy certain books of the Bible, etc. But there are some challenges or some passages, the, the material is just a challenge. And it's tempting sometimes to say, well, let's just skip that one, right? But every part of the Word of God is the Word of God. Would you agree with that? Every part of the Word of God is the Word of God. So we don't need to skip that, even if it might be tempting to do so. So tonight, we're going to focus on the first five verses. And the title of the study is called Doubting God's Love. But I've just got to be honest and say to you, it would be kind of nice to skip these five verses. It'd be kind of nice to say, well, let's move on to something easier, something more pleasant. But this is an important lesson, and I have been and am excited to teach it to you. The first message, doubting God's love, is really the theme, in some ways, of the entire book. 
Because God's steadfast love is contrasted to the indifference of God's people. Now, now hear that one more time. God's steadfast love is contrasted with the indifference of His people. And so, as we just take our Bibles, begin in chapter 1, verse 1, here's the first thing I want you to see. That God's love is declared by Malachi. That's how the book opens. This book that is an oracle, this book that is a rebuke, this book that has a very uh, stern message, it really opens, though, with God declaring His love for His people through the prophet Malachi. So, let's look. Verse 1, an oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. It's interesting that rather than beginning with a condemning message, shaking his finger at these apathetic people, Malachi begins with a message they needed to hear most. A message of God's love. Rather than reminding them of how bad they are in their spiritual apathy, which he will eventually do, He reminds them first of God's love. Now there are three characteristics of God's love that are revealed in verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. Three characteristics if you're taking notes of God's love would be this. First of all, this is a sovereign love. I have loved you, he says, says the Lord. I have loved you. He is the the Lord. He is the, uh, the King of kings and the Lord of hosts. He is the one that is in charge of everything. In fact, look in verse 4. He's referred to as the Lord Almighty. And I think in some translations, does it say the Lord of hosts? In your translation? In verse 4, does anybody have the Lord of hosts in their translation? All right. What translation is that? Oh, ESV? New King James? King James, all right? So let me tell you something about this phrase, the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is a unique phrase that's used throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. And the the phrase, the Lord of hosts, uh, originally uh, came to be or first started being used in the book of Judges. And it really really meant the Lord of the armies. You know, in the book of Judges, there was a lot of the, the armies and the fighting and all that kind of thing. And... God was declared as the Lord of hosts. He was declared as the Lord of the armies. That regardless of which armies were coming against God's people, God was the Lord over the armies. God was the Lord of hosts. And so when he says to his people, I have loved you, says the Lord. And in verse 4 in IV it says the Lord Almighty or it says the Lord of hosts. He's speaking at a time when there really, Israel doesn't have an army right now. Nothing significant. So why is he referred to as the Lord of the armies? Because as the Lord of the host, the the writer Malachi, the messenger, is emphasizing that God is in charge of the whole world, that everything is in his hands. And this is the one that loves you. This is the one who is declaring his love for you. The Lord Almighty, the Lord of all the armies, the one who is sovereign. This is the one. Who is declaring his love for you. This is the one who loves you. You see, this is not just any nation. This is the nation created by God himself. He's sovereign. These are God's chosen people. 
He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is control of every people, tribe, and nation. This is the one who is loving you. So it's a sovereign love. Number two, this is an unconditional love. When we read the text, I have loved you, it almost sounds like, well, he's speaking past tense, like maybe he doesn't love him anymore. I have loved you, is what it says. But this is speaking about an unconditional love. Not only is it a sovereign love, number two, it's an unconditional love. Humanly speaking, God had no reason to love Israel, and yet he loved them anyway. It's an unconditional love. And the Hebrew word here indicates that God's love is very intense. The Living Bible translates it this way, I have loved you very deeply. It's a very intense love. I have loved you very deeply is the, the, the idea behind it. But it's also an enduring love. Because the tense of the verb here, when he says, I have loved you, the tense of the verb shows continual action. Here's what God was saying. Look at this. I have loved you and I still do. That's how he opens the book. That's how he begins this letter through his messenger, Malachi. Before he gets into the stern warning about their spiritual apathy, there is this loving affirmation, I have loved you and I still do. Now, God's love is declared. Secondly, God's love is denied by the people. This, this is where it gets very interesting. Look at verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? This verse, this one verse, shows us the poor spiritual condition of the people in Malachi's day. They're like a, a wife who, who feels hurt and neglected. And when the husband says to her, I love you, she looks at that man that she feels so distant from and says, how can you say that? How can you say you love me if you, and fill in the blank. That's the kind of defiant questioning that Malachi is using here. He's using a literary style that runs throughout the book. I think it's six different places in the book of Malachi where you will see this, this pattern. Uh, I'll show the, the pattern to you here. The pattern goes like this. God makes a declaration or God states something like, I have loved you and I still do. And then Israel objects. Israel questions whatever God has stated. And then God explains, sometimes defends, the statement that he's made. And you will see this literary style six times, at least six times, throughout the book of Malachi. And it really shows the poor spiritual condition of the people. That God makes a statement and they object, or they deny, or they question what God has said. They're so uh, complacent. That when God speaks, they say, I'm not sure I believe that anymore. When God speaks, it's like, well, if that's true, then why is this happening? And so they're so spiritually complacent that they're no longer believing what God is saying to them. And God actually has to explain and justify and defend the statements that he's made. So, let me put this in context for you. Let me remind you why they are in this condition. Uh, this will be rehearsing a little bit of what we talked about last week, but I, I, you just need to make sure you read this chapter in the context. So let me remind you that Malachi wrote this book 
this, that we, this letter we call Malachi, he was writing about a hundred years after God's people returned from exile. Remember? Because of their disobedience, they, they were led as captives away from the, their homes, away from the promised land. They were taken to Babylon after about 70 years. Cyrus of Persia conquered Babylon, allowed God's people to come back home. Once they get back home, the people are back in their homeland. They decide we need to rebuild the temple. That's one of the things that got us in trouble last time. We didn't listen to God, so we're not going to let that happen again. So let's rebuild the temple to make sure we have the right relationship with God. They did rebuild the temple. And then later, Nehemiah came on the scene and said, you need to do more than just rebuild the temple. You need to rebuild the walls around the city. You're a defenseless city right now. And so they rebuilt the walls around the city. And then there was a man named Ezra who came on the scene about the same time as Nehemiah. And Ezra came on the scene and said, you need to do more than just build the temple. And you need to do more than just build the walls around the city. You need to do what God's word says. And the, the people were like, well, you're right. That's kind of what got us in trouble the last time. That's the reason we had to go into exile. And, and so they had this revival of the word where Ezra was reading the word of God. And they were declaring, we will obey the word of God. But days led into weeks, and weeks led into months, and months led into years, and years, and years, and years. When Malachi is writing, I'm not exactly sure how far it was after Ezra led them into that uh, time of revival. But it was about a hundred years since the time they moved back to, into their promised land. So a good deal of time had passed. And the people, when they first came back to the land, they were excited. And wouldn't you be? You get to go back to your homeland? Wouldn't you be excited to see the temple being built again? I mean, that, that would be like, on a scale of 1 to 10, that would be an 11, right? Wouldn't you be excited to see God send a man named Nehemiah, a leader, to help you rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem? And now your homeland's going to be secure? And wouldn't you be excited that God sent a man named Ezra to Jerusalem and he had a heart for God and he had a heart for God's word and he opened God's word and he led you back into a close relationship with God and obedience to God's word and it was a revival in the land wouldn't that be exciting of course it would the people had high hopes that now finally the prophecies and promises of God were going to come true they were expecting their nation to be rebuilt and to rise in power Weeks led into months, months led into years, and years led to spiritual apathy. You know what they found? Let me tell you what they found. They found living was as hard as ever. They found that they, they still had struggles. They found they still had enemies. They found they still had droughts and plagues and frustrations. And here's what we find out as we read through the book of Malachi. Listen, and make sure you get this. They were busy for God, but they were not walking with God. They had gotten to the point, they were still busy for God, but they were not walking with God. Here's what I mean by that. They didn't stop offering sacrifices. They just offered God many times blemished sacrifices. Instead of giving God their best, they began to give God their leftovers. And we'll talk about that in the next week or two. 
So it's not like they gave up on God and walked away. It's not like they stopped coming to church. They continued to do the religious duties that they had. Their heart just wasn't in it anymore. They didn't stop going to the temple. They just stopped being faithful to the God of the temple. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 11, I'll just turn over to chapter 2 real quickly. Verse 11, there's a statement there that kind of summarizes the condition of the people of God. Chapter 2, verse 11 says this, Judah has broken faith. A short sentence, but a powerful word. They didn't stop going to the temple, they just broke faith with God. And God is warning this religious community of the dangerous slide into spiritual apathy. And that really is the premise of the whole book. They, they returned, this, let me stand up to say this. They returned to, they returned to their homeland from exile, but they didn't return to God. They were still distant from God. They were not living in exile anymore, but they were still living distant from God. Does that make sense? They're now in the land of blessing. They are now, and for a while they did turn their hearts to God. I don't want to misstate that. For a while they turned their hearts uh, towards God. But by the time we get to the book of Malachi, these people who had returned from exile are still far from God. Geographically, they're no longer far from their homeland. Geographically, they're no longer far from Jerusalem. Geographically, they were no longer far from the temple. But spiritually, they were far Far from God. If you're taking notes, write down Isaiah 29, 13. Uh, this is just a descriptive. I'm not saying Isaiah was prophesying about this particular time. But a descriptive verse in Isaiah 29, 13. Where God said to His people through the prophet Isaiah. These people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. That was the situation in Malachi's day. Maybe a situation in your day. I have to check my heart. See, this is not just a Bible study to say, hey, what can we learn about Malachi? This is a Bible study to say, is there complacency in my heart? Is there complacency in my life? Is there complacency in my church? These people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In Malachi's day, the people were living in their homeland once again, but they were still very distant from God. So when God declared His love for His people, they responded by doubting and even denying God's love. It, it, it was in essence, they were saying, well, sure, we're back in the promised land, but have you seen it? Not what it used to be. Have you seen the temple, the second temple? It's not what it used to be. Here's a principle that we see in Malachi as we look through this book. And it's a principle that maybe we also see in our lives. And here it is. When, the life, when life... I don't know if you say it or not, or if you just think it, but perhaps I think there's been that situation in your life. I know there has been in mind where we, we will say one of, one of these things, for instance, if God really loved me, why would this be happening? 
because of the circumstances, because of the expectations, we're prone to doubt God's love for us. If God really loved me, this wouldn't be happening. If the blank, go ahead, just fill in the blank. If God really who's the I told you there's some verses it would be nice if you could skip them. But this is all God's word. So this is where we're going to get into the difficult part of the text. So let's read verse 2 in its entirety. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Then, was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says, the Lord of the armies. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord. 